At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 395th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food. And I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is weathering the challenges of growing food in South Florida. We're talking with Karen Fields about growing food in the tropics. Karen has over 20 years gardening experience in South Florida, where she installs backyard edible gardens, gives informative talks on vegetable gardening, and educates people on how to grow their own food. Locally, she is known as the edible gardening gal and loves giving her gardening talks at libraries all over South Florida. Welcome to the show today, Karen. Are you ready to rock tropical gardening? Yes, I'm ready. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. Thank you, Greg, so much for this opportunity to be interviewed by you. I started gardening about 20 years ago, experimenting. I didn't have a backyard, but I had a terrace. And I failed miserably because I was in South Florida, and there's not a lot of information for growing in South Florida in the tropics. We have many different grow zones in South Florida, and we are in the tropical part, the end of the state. And our zone is 10B11, the tropics, and things work a little differently here. We've got sandy soil, and you know that sandy soil doesn't hold water, and it's usually not nutritious enough to grow food. Mm-hmm. 
probably the hardest part about trying to grow here was that the information didn't apply. And a lot of the books for growing food had been written in the 80s. And I know the science changed in the late 80s. So I know they didn't apply either. So the secret was to listen to a lot of people and then try it yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't try it yourself, there seems to be a lot of gardening woo-woo, I mean myths, that kind of are regurgitated into the gardening business and then they become gospel. And we have so many words, too. We have organic, we have vermicomposting and composting and all kinds of things that confuse people. So anybody who tried to grow in the tropics was completely confused. So we had to start at point one. We have that same problem here in the desert. You know, the tags on plants say full sun. And full sun here in the (laughs) desert is like a blast furnace. Exactly here. And people come from another part of the country Mm -hmm. and they plant their tomatoes in June. Right. Also, they come here and they buy an orange tree. Guilty. I did both of them. Uh Not realizing that the orange trees grow in the middle of the state and can't grow down here in the south. I mean, we can get food, but that doesn't taste as good. Sometimes it gets dried out, too. So that sun is brutal. Do you guys grow in the summer there in Arizona? Barely. Yeah, us too. We have about, I don't know, maybe five, six crops that do well, but it's not a good idea. So we're kind of behind the eight ball. Like you guys, we get six hours of sun in the wintertime, so we get less sun. Mm -hmm. And we deal with the humidity, which you guys don't have to deal with. Right. Because the humidity makes the leaves wet on all our plants, and the leaves don't like to be wet. Right. We try different cultivars and different tomatoes and all kinds of things to make it work. And we've come up with cultivars that are more tolerant of our weather here. But our plants also don't look as good as they do. You know, you see pictures of plants everywhere in gardens, and they're very prolific and beautiful and loaded with tomatoes. That's not what happens here. Their plants don't look like models. Mm -hmm. We can't get vegetables and fruit. Yeah. We coax them. We coddle them. That's what you do there, too. hmm? Yeah, exactly. I started as an organic gardener about 20 years ago. As a matter of fact, I was on the Tori and Dean show with Karen Kinsella of Grow O, Grow Organic in California. And they flew me up there, and we did a garden for Tori Spelling on television. Wow. Yeah, it was really fun. I'll tell you, Tori Spelling is a really sweet girl and her husband, very nice people. We had a lot of fun And when I was very organic. What happened was I went to see Michelle Obama about eight years ago in Washington, D.C., because I was part of that Building a Healthier Future. Right. And at that point, I met a lot of very professional people in the business, plant pathologists, arborists, and they kind of changed my mind about growing organically. And I've read a lot of things about organics. I've got studies from the newspaper and things on the Dirty Dozen list, how they compared organic food next to conventionally grown food. And there were traces of pesticides on the organic food. And then I realized that the word organic was not the proper word we were looking for. We're looking for the word local because the food loses its nutrition immediately, almost after picking, depending on the crop. Exactly. Yes, there's some very good scientific information about how it loses its picking, especially spinach. Mm-hmm. It's very anecdotal when people go and eat a spinach salad and they think they're getting so healthy and actually the spinach has been completely depleted. So what I do is I educate people on how to grow their own food and I also tell them what the story is about how their food works and is not working. So what I try to do is get people to kind of have a little garden on the side to kind of supplement what they're not getting from the grocery store. Right. 
I don't want them to start having, you know, 10 beds and 10 grow bags and all kinds of stuff. I want them to start small, start growing the stuff so you can supplement, especially for children, because children are just not getting the food that they need. That's right. And it's not an organic problem. It's a local problem. I have people that have cancer now, and they're still going to Whole Foods and buying organic food. I'm assuming, though, you're still growing without chemicals, correct? Well, sort of. I'm using a whole soil. Uh huh. I found that organic soils, the plants in the tropics are already stressed enough, so I start with a whole soil, and I simply amend my soil with my compost. I start with a whole soil because... People are so confused down here, even about soil and what to use. So I break it down for them. I tell them to use a whole soil. What does that mean, a whole soil? Because I'm assuming a whole soil still doesn't have chemicals in it. Well, it's got fertilizers in it. And what are fertilizers? Fertilizer at the molecular level are the identical chemical elements used by plants. Got it. When people use an organic fertilizer, it doesn't work immediately. It has to be turned by the microorganisms in the soil to make it available to the plant in the form that the plant can take up. Got it. I use my organics and everything in my composter, and that works beautifully. Now, for people who don't have a composter, what I tell them is to use just a whole vegetable fertilizer. Once you start putting different things in your soil, I think it ruins the natural balance. It already has a natural balance in it. So we don't want to disturb that too much. So we can use other stuff in our composter and then sprinkle it on top of our compost. When we water, that goes down into the soil. So we keep it simple, break it down use easy stuff. And that's how people are growing down here. A lot of people. And I'm spreading the word and trying to debunk some of the gardening myths that are going around. Right. So you told me a story before we started recording about one of your garden pests that had me dropping my jaw to the floor. It was like, really? Tell me about that. Oh, the dinosaurs? Yeah, the dinosaurs. Exactly. The iguana dinosaurs have gotten so bad in South Florida this past year. They just hang out on the lawns in the front. We used to see them and they would run away. They don't even run anymore. They're everywhere and they can decimate a garden in no time. And some of them are six feet long. Wow. What do we do? Well, we can use chicken wire, but it does make the gardens look unsightly. And it's kind of a negative. The gardens are so beautiful, I hate to do that. But we cannot do anything about them. They don't respond to anything. Mm -hmm. And they're not natives here either. They shouldn't be here. So the only thing we can do is use wire or some protective thing over our garden. Sometimes we can hide them. Uh But if they have an aroma or a gas, they can find them and then they'll take the cover off and start eating. I went to my pineapples this morning and there were actually huge gouges in my pineapples. I've never seen that because I have about 150 pineapples growing in the front and the back and on the sides Mm -hmm. just for the fact that pineapples are so great when they're harvested properly when they're yellow instead of green. It's such an easy crop to grow. You just forget them for two years and they come up. It takes two years to get one. But boy, is it worth it. I guess a six foot iguana could climb over a six foot fence. Absolutely. And they have big claws and the fences are usually wooden. I've done an iguana cage at one of my schools. Uh Uh-huh. And it's working. It's slippery on the outside. And I thought I could keep the inside open on the top. They got over the slippery stuff. On top of the slippery sides, I've put material that's pest resistant Uh and I can't bite into it. Pet screen. I have to do that. And I may have to do that with all my gardens now, which is very unfortunate. Wow. Wasn't bad last year, but this year it's unbelievable. And I thought we had problems with rabbits here. With rabbits? Oh, you can always pet them and love them. Not an iguana. Right. They can kill you with their tail. Wow. 
So you had an experience a few years ago that was pretty epic. And my listeners know I'm always looking for epic. Tell me about it. At school, the little kids, you know, I tell them that I planted carrots and they don't really understand. But when they pick up the carrot by the green at the top and pull it from the soil and see the carrot coming out of the soil, it's magic. What I like to do is especially to talk to grandmothers and families, because I think you should really engage your children in this agriculture. We need some brilliant minds in agriculture, and I think it's very interesting for them, and they love it, and we should do this with all our children. Everybody should have at least a moringa tree in their backyard. Yeah, just something to make up for the deficiencies we're not getting. Tell me about a moringa tree. The moringa is so healthy for you, and it grows like a weed. You can't kill it. It's from India, and what it has is many times the vitamins of other things. So it's just chock full of lots of vitamins. And what's really great about it is the leaves are small and tasteless. So the people who are making these green drinks in the morning, these yucky green drinks that make me gag, you can take some of these moringa leaves, throw it in a salad, cover it with salad dressing, and kids won't even know they're eating healthy. You tell them it's a new kind of lettuce, and they just eat it because there's no flavor, and it goes down really well. Uh-huh. I love the moringa. It's great for kids. We have it at school all the time. Uh So we can cut them to bushes. We can shape them any way we like. We had a hurricane several years ago, and my neighbors came over and just took the whole tree that had fallen over and put it back up, and it's still there. There you go. One of the things I've noticed about moringas here in the desert is they are prolific sprouters from roots. So I'm wondering if they've become invasive down there in Florida. Not that I know of at all. No. Good. They do spread. They are big trees. Yep. I love the seeds with the little tutus on them. They're so cute. Kids love them. And they're big enough for the kids to pick up instead of some of those tiny seeds. And they always grow fast. So it's a big win for kids to have something that, you know, grows fast and they see it right away. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, I love the kids. So you work a lot with kids, don't you? I do. I have three schools. I love them. I just went yesterday to one of the Pace Center for Girls. A lot of them were to the state to see if I couldn't just maybe do some volunteer work over there. Most of my work is paid. I've done a lot of volunteer work and I started. Mm-hmm. When Michelle Obama came into office, I went to the schools and did a lot of volunteer work. And then people started calling me and paying me. Even the library pays me very well. They're very generous. But I won't do free work anymore, only for people who, you know, need a war to the state and kids who need it. For me, it's very rewarding. And also, I want to create more little edible gardening gals. It's a great business. Yeah. You know, especially for a girl that's a ward of the state. Mm-hmm. Maybe she'll get a job at Starbucks or something. What I want to do is get these girls to think outside of the box and create their own businesses. I don't want them to have to work for other people. Nice. So how are you going about doing that? I do it in my talks. I'm usually doing a talk somewhere every week. We start our growing season in a couple of weeks now, so we're still prepping. It's still too hot and too rainy. Right. You know, I talk to these kids, and they get excited. They love the growing. It's fascinating for them, and they learn math and science and all kinds of things from growing food. It should definitely be in the schools, no question about it. So you have a new book coming out, Edible Gardening in the Tropics. Yes. 
I had a practice book called Organic Vegetable Gardening in the Tropics when I first started, and I believed in it, but I didn't get a lot of produce, and it was hard for people to understand. It was too complicated. So now I've broken it down a little bit more, and now it's just vegetable gardening in the tropics. I've included a couple of fruit trees, but I know at this point from all my experience that if I don't grow it myself, I really shouldn't talk about it because I don't know if the information is correct. Oh, right. So I've kind of included my book to stuff that I've grown and had experience because I've had experience of people told me the wrong information and I never want to do that again. So now I try everything myself. I didn't want to write a big book because I think big books scare people. I wanted to write a handbook. So it was kind of written the way I talk kind of to the point, not too much information. I kind of was able to separate too much information from just the information you need to grow at first. Because once you start growing and get successful, you love it. Of course, everybody does. There's nobody that doesn't love it once they try it. Right. And then people start learning automatically. They just start learning because they love it. I don't want to destroy you with too much information. I don't want to turn you off. I want to turn you on. So that's my talent. Perfect. When I tell people all the time that growing food is one great big grand experiment, I can teach you what I know, but then you have to go figure out how it's going to work in your space. Absolutely, because every backyard has a different system. It's different. You never know. So every client is different, and that makes it interesting as well. So you learn more, and it's just fascinating, all of it. Well, I'm going to shift on you, and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it. I failed for a long time. I failed a long time because gardening is very area-specific. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that at first. So I was reading gardening books that didn't apply to me. And I was reading a lot of gardening woo-woo again. And I would try it and it wouldn't work well. And I go, wait a minute, this is not correct. It was a great experience to fail because I learned that I cannot do anything. And I said it before, unless I try it myself, I can't believe anything because it's so different down here. Right. You just need to know the right information and you can get bounty, but you definitely need the right information down here because of the gardening myths. So recently I was in a big box store and this has to go with people failing at gardening. I was at a big box store and I did a survey of the plants, the different edible plants that they had available for sale. And one of the things that I found was that over 50% of the plants would never make food because they're not climate appropriate or they're not season appropriate. Have you found that as well? Oh my gosh. They sell tomatoes at the big box stores in June here. Oh my gosh. What they must do is they have a buyer uh-huh. who buys for all the stores, not considering that the climate is different. Yes, very much so. And no wonder people are confused. Right. They go to the store, they spend $50 on plants, spend a couple hundred on soil, they go home and the whole thing fails. Mm-hmm. And it's not their fault. They just don't have the right information. Exactly. And that's what you and I are for. I am a big proponent of making sure that we get the right information out there about how to grow food. Yes, because we're doing people a disservice if we turn them off. Mm-hmm. Growing for families, just a beautiful thing to bond. I can't tell you how many people come up to me after class and say, me and my grandmother, da, 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 da. They all remember. And this is something that people have forgotten to do. And it's just a family thing. It's so wonderful. It's just a great way to bond. Yeah, beautiful. So what do you consider your biggest success? My biggest success definitely is figuring it out and being strong enough 
to overcome a lot of the people who are in the business who are not helping to tell the right story. I'm getting more well-known in the area and more people are listening because, well, first of all, it's logic. If you explain it in a logical way, it makes sense. So when it makes sense to them, they get it. They can get it inside of them and think about it. I don't tell people how to grow. I say, if you want to be an organic gardener, go ahead. But start this way so you get some stuff, so you know how great it is. Then you can start whatever way you want to grow. But first, walk before you can run. Right. Yeah, because once they start to walk, they will run. There's no question about it. It's just getting over that hurdle of that misinformation that people have. They're timid about trying because of all the books and all the information. And it's confusing. And if you break it down for them, they're so happy and so grateful. And I just love my job. Yeah. And what drives you? What drives me? I was taken away from my parents when I was 12 years old. I was a ward of the state. Wow. I had a very, very hard time growing up. I was emancipated at 17, went to high school in the morning, worked as a checker in the grocery store in the afternoon, and worked at night as a waitress. And I said, I never wanted to work for anybody again. I said, I've got to figure out how to do something that's going to work for me. Mm -hmm. I also sang jazz for many years, about 20 years in Florida. And while I was singing, I was able to book myself so I didn't really have to work anybody. It was just working for somebody. I think kids really need to think out of the box now. And when you work for somebody, you are just in jail. You need to really think of some really cool ideas because when I became the Edible Garden Girl, there was nobody doing it. And it was way out of the box. And it's working and it's working so well. I want to engage children into this. I think it's a great business. And this is why I do this. Like I said yesterday, I to the Pace Center for Girls. I want to work with wards of the state, girls that need a mentor mm -hmm. that's going to help them not only in life, but in business. Growing is almost a metaphor for life anyway, and it's just a good way to teach. This is what I want to do. I don't have children. I don't have family. I have a wonderful husband, but I have a lot of time on my hands, and I want to do something good. It's good for me. It's good for them. It's win-win-win all the way around, and that's why I do this. Beautiful. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Do I have to recommend one book? Okay. <laughs> I know. It's a hard one. <laughs> A Square Foot Gardening would be the only book that I would read, and I would tell you why. It's easy, it's a fun book, and it's not going to make your head go in circles. It's one of the classics. And that's why it is a classic, because it's a great book. I love Mel Bartholomew. It may not apply in certain situations, but you can use it for anything. Well, it goes back to the experimenting part. Yes. Use his tools to experiment with. Absolutely. I did it first, too. A lot of it didn't work for the tropics. But I had to figure that out. It'll work everywhere else. Maybe not in Arizona, maybe not down here, but they should have beautiful bounty in other parts of the country. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say, I guess the hardest part about gardening is kind of discerning the good information from the bad. I would be very careful about where you get your information from and look at both sides of it and try it yourself first because people are still putting eggshells in their garden and eggshells don't break down in the garden. They're digging up the Mayans and all those ruins. They find whole eggs in there. Really? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Eggshells don't break down. Even if you pulverize them, they have to be turned by the microorganisms to be available to the plant. That'd be like somebody gave us a bar of concrete on a plate and said, enjoy your lunch. We don't recognize concrete as food. So we'd look at them and say, well, you're crazy, and we wouldn't eat that. Interesting. Well, this is the scientific information that I've learned from seeing Michelle Obama and talking with professional people. Unfortunately, we've got a lot of very, very organic gardeners down here that keep spreading kind of this misinformation and putting people at a disadvantage.
that's where the experimenting comes back in at. We've got to take what we take and experiment away. Kids love experiments. Don't just put a pineapple in water. Show them the roots that come down and have them plant it. Have them take ownership of it. Then that's their pineapple. And then we'll check it every day, sometimes 10 times a day. <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Karen. Well, thank you, Greg, for having me. And I can't wait to talk to you some more about what you're doing over there. Perfect. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Website is theediblegardening.com. Perfect. You can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash edible gardening gal. We are your urban farming resource. You can find our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, podcasts, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Claiming your inner urban farmer is easy. Grow food, share it, and name your farm. Then let the world know you're an urban farmer while supporting our podcast. Pick up your urban farmer bling, hats, and t-shirts at imanurbanfarmer.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.